Jim Jones, by name of James Warren Jones, was an American cult leader who promised his followers a utopia in the jungles of South America after proclaiming himself the Messiah of the People's Temple, a San Francisco-based evangelist group. He ultimately led his followers into a mass suicide, which left more than 900 dead and came to be known as the Jonestown Massacre on November 18, 1978, representing the largest number of American civilian casualties in a single non-natural event prior to 9-11. And um, I think I think that's actually a really good place to start of just kind of like high level what this guy uh, factually has stepped through, um, what what his history was, because as you guys will learn and as Julie and I know already, Jim Jones's life is quite circuitous. And um, I feel like there's he's well, let's say this. I think that um, he pushes against the current um, and has his own ideas and had that as a child. But um, one thing I think that should be taken out of this podcast is that um, as we look over leaders and stuff, um, you will notice that um, certain leaders, it doesn't, there's no, or there's very little as far as common traits sometimes that you'll see in leaders and, you know, on all broad walks of life. And it could be that with um, any discipline, I think, or any activity. But uh, I think that, you know, Jim, Jim Jones, um, granted, was one of the most persuasive and skilled um, narcissists as a cult leader that we've seen in a long time like very long, like modern era long. Um, but it's a perfect example of the lack or, you know, there's no real floor when it comes to a leader. Like there's no floor of merit or certain qualities or skills. Um, and you obviously understand that more so as we step through this and uh, bring you along the journey. And I think too, it's fascinating knowing prior that obviously the way Jim Jones became Jim Jones, not to be confused with rapper Jim Jones, is a very odd life, very odd decisions, odd personality, overall odd dude to say the least. Uh, And I guess to start, he was born in 1931 uh, in Indiana and a very odd transitional time and a very unique family dynamic, right? His mom was a very free spirit for a lady in the 30s and the 40s cussing, smoking, going against the grain, while his father was a World War I veteran with most likely PTSD and a part of a hate group, right? And so as a kid coming up with clashing parents, you're not going to be able to find a footing on where you rely, and you may be already setting up to be an outcast in yourself. And to be specific, um, and granted, Julian, you might have a more confounded or confirmed proof but uh, i believe the group that his father was a part of was the kkk and another thing too is um his dad was a world war one vet um and they grew up he well jim jones grew up extremely poor um eventually he grew up in lynn indiana uh in basically a shack with no plumbing at all so very kind of trying times and uh humbling kind of a start and um i think well one thing that uh, I found very interesting was, you know, when I said that Jim Jones kind of will push against the current of whatever is going on and uh, cultural norms or anything like that, if he doesn't believe in them or um, 
you know, he has a very, very strong sense of self. He actually, um, there was a point where, you know, his dad was a part of the KKK, but Jim, as you guys will find out, was um, really believed in, um, like, you know, the civil rights movement and equality for minorities. And so that was uh, a big problem between him and his father that he ended up leaving home with or leaving home because his dad actually wouldn't let one of Jim's black friends in the house. And he didn't speak to his father's father for years after that experience himself. And um, he kind of grew up as an odd kid, I think, just kind of a a peculiarity, as Julian said before. Yeah, 100% odd. I mean, imagine walking down in your town or city, wherever you are, and a little kid is reading books and studying the likes of Stalin, Marx, Mao, Gandhi, and to round it all out, Hitler, right? It's a very unique thing to be going on at a child that is not a teenager, you know, a seven and eight year old walking around town, studying these types of individuals just to learn how they got to power and what their prominence was. And it was something I couldn't find in my research is what put them on the path to find power. Because as we go through this, you'll see that's kind of his his vision and his goal is that he understands where he can place himself to have the most power. And so being fascinated with these individuals, he was also very fascinated with death and religion as a child. No one's 100% sure what put him on to those things, but he was often found harming animals or looking into the morbid side of death. Or on the other note, he was going with elderly woman in the town to different churches and different and different religions to learn how those pastors and those priests were speaking to their congregations, just fascinated in the world of religion and how that was being persuaded. So there's a lot of odd levers happening. And from my perspective, I can understand how as a kid, that makes you even more lost. You're learning very diverse information while having a rough home life and not having a whole lot of friends at school just because of the way you're projected or and being introverted and into these things that six and seven year olds typically aren't interested in. And and by no means um I do we want to kind of paint a hindsight as 2020 on young Jim Jones and say, well obviously this was clear that he was destined for this stuff at the beginning of his life because um you know life is so chaotic and different things shake out different ways. Uh, this Jim Jones is what we have, but it could have been a different Jim Jones, um, that, you know, grew up in this world and had different experiences as far as life goes. So, uh, I think that it is totally fair to say, you know, that this kid was just kind of an odd duck, odd duck for sure. And then further on in his life, um, he was also Really, really, um, this has happened. Uh, I happened across this during my research. Uh, he also had an affinity with kind of animals and himself. And granted, you know, you can imagine this kid wasn't the most popular kid at school, uh, being interested in death and morbidity and uh, things like Hitler at such a young age. Um, at Hitler at any age, I think, is probably uh, fine to say. But he also kind of walked around with groups of animals and like stray dogs and cats, and they'd wait for him outside of the church, uh, you know, whatever church you would visit, you would see this kid with a pack of kind of like stray cats and stray dogs that would follow him in and out of, um, and wait for him after the service as well. 
So uh, as you can tell, Jim Jones kind of grew up really, really quickly and was very distinct very early on. Um, and that's kind of where he kind of moves into his young adulthood and does the same thing, does things early, went to college at 17, um, met his wife and got married at the age of 18. And Marceline herself, Marceline Baldwin was her name, was a couple of years older than Jim, which I I found kind of interesting. Um, of course, you know, in a traditional sense, um, it would probably be uh, an interesting one. But um, if you look at these two people on paper, it would be weird. But if you looked at them with the color of, you know, human beings, um, particularly Jim Jones, you can understand why um, he would be as persuasive and as charismatic to Marceline, uh, just being extraordinarily empathetic to, um, you know, to people and where he worked and where they met, which was in a church or not a church, but a hospital. And he would, um, one thing that stood out to Marceline was his extraordinarily, he was extraordinarily um, empathic to the people he was caring for. And especially when it came to disposing of bodies, that would be um, young Jim Jones's kind of main role which would be taking care of the people that were just recently deceased. And, um, you know, the striking thing was, is like, you could tell he was extraordinarily upset by the loss of life of these people that he did not even know. And at, you know, 16, 17, 18, to be disposing of bodies is a unique thing in itself. You don't know, I don't know any 16 or 17 or 18 year olds who are disposing of bodies on a regular basis like they were in the 30s in the hospital setting and so you can imagine it being a jarring shock especially for an outcasted kid to find that profession and learn more about that world and i'm sure it was intriguing to him as well as historically he's been interested in the sight of death but to see it to actual humans that look similar to him in real time must have been a jarring experience and so him and marceline the nurse hit it off and they become married and Soon after, Jim Jones enrolls in college, uh, which takes him quite a bit of time to graduate. I, I think it takes him about 10 years and two colleges, uh, starts at Indiana State, ends up at Butler, and then ends up getting a degree in secondary education. But it takes him about 10 years to get that degree because in the meantime, he's doing a lot of different extracurricular activities along with building this relationship with Marceline. Yeah. I mean, once again, talk about circuitous, especially with his journey through college. Um, one thing though, that I think is one of the most important things that we, um, should mention throughout Jim Jones's life is during this time, which was around, if he was 17, then, uh, going to college, I think he might be 1949 or in the 1950s as well. Uh, this was the time where the U.S. was, um, you know, going through the Red Scare, which was the battle against communism as an ideology and, um, you know, the Soviet Union at the time and uh, things like that, which made communism a very, very taboo thing. But usually with colleges, um, being that they are more left leaning there was actually a socialist or no, not socialist, but a communist group um, in the college themselves. And they were called the Communist Party Movement. And um, they seek young Jim Jones out. And one thing to note, too, 
is I mentioned going back to the Red Scare. What that meant is that one, communism was quite taboo, which was extra sexy or attractive to young, you know, young people who wanted to be radical or, um, you know, like turn away from the common establishment as they see it. And, you know, things that young people do throughout time and history so that there's nothing new there. But the really interesting piece was, is that um, being that there was such opposition to communism, uh, it meant that the operations and ranks of the communist party itself had to be extraordinarily tight. Um, and that meant in their indoctrination, uh, it was much more strategic and also the transformation of the participants themselves and the fact of, you know, they would actually build and create people from the ground up sometimes. Like you imagine, um, you know, uh, a kid or a worker who wasn't extraordinarily gifted at anything and maybe even, uh, you know, on the worst side of mediocre uh, when it comes to their job or anything like that. These communist party movement people would say, hey, don't worry about sp speaking anything about communism. The first and most important thing to push our you know, the party forward is to get really good at your job. And, you know, they would basically transform these people to be extraordinarily competent. And what that did was actually make the image of communism something of excellence in a sense. And so, you know, they they would garner skill sets in their young, you know, their people that came on and um, Jim Jones included. But I think that, you know, when you hear the term uh, duck taking the water, I think throughout Jim Jones's lifetime, through up to that point, being extraordinarily involved or, you know, caring about the um, civil rights movement and the work going on in there, uh, communism just made perfect sense to him. And um, he, he basically ran with it. And, uh, you know, he also learned through communism. And I think this is something that he takes away and, you know, turns into his own weapon is that the more you ask of somebody, the more you'll get point blank period. And um, as you can see, Jim Jones will ask a lot of people and uh, he'll get even more or maybe not more, but he'll ask everything of every of his people and he'll get everything in return. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that falls into one of our six categories under vision. I think from a very young age, he understood what he was interested in and what he wanted to go after, whether that being seeing the different power and persuasion happening in the world of religion, what was happening in the communist movement, understanding how to manipulate and persuade people to complete tasks and have that power was something all, that always piqued his interest. And I think this is one of the instances where you can kind of see that vision coming across where he understands how people operate, the psychology of individuals and where you can, can tweak and make adjustments to put them on a path that best, best suits you. However, I think this coincides with while he's in college, he's still going to church and studying religion and runs into a famous spiritual pastor, preacher, Father Divine, African-American gentleman. And Father Divine basically tells him, if you find a common enemy and make it known, people are going to be more likely to join your cause. Whatever that common enemy is, make sure to find it, make sure to make it known. I think this also falls into that realm of vision 
uh, for Jim Jones and also kind of blends into our other category of an, um, his integrity. I think integrity is a weird thing. And I think he himself stayed true to himself, understanding these manipulations of individuals throughout this power path that he goes on. You know, he may be a non-traditional leader, but he definitely led a large portion of people at this time. And so you can see where those interests are peaked by the communist movement and the communist party outside of it just being taboo in America. But internally for him, it's something as an outcast, he finally started to align with. Something you guys will notice um, throughout this podcast, or maybe at the end when we actually do our rankings, is that uh, I think that um, there's there's one specific category that I think that Julian and I are really off, and it is vision. Um, and I definitely I see the issue with me is that I think it's um, it's a tale of two people in a sense, and a you know anybody who's close to me who's heard me talk about Jim Jones before this podcast is is going to roll their eyes because. Um, I give the, I always say this and it's, um, I think this guy's kind of like Harvey Dent, but, um, in, in kind of just actions, not personality or kind of story where you get this person who's, um, you know, is moved and, um, is quite good and has a, has a goal that is quite uplifting and unifying for people. Harvey Dent, it was to clean up Gotham and kind of make the city better. Um, Jim Jones, it was to kind of eliminate racism and, um, you know, empower the minorities that were, uh, or the black African-Americans that were having a really tough time uh, during the fifties. And, um, you know, as Jim was growing up, but uh, further on you get, you know, it's the classic saying, uh, you know, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And so, um, I mean, maybe I couldn't help but say that right now. But later on, when we reveal our scores, you can see that um, it's kind of difficult. Um, but to go back to the point, Julian, because I think you made a really good point. Uh, Father Divine did um, and always had some sort of kind of um, maybe not an influence is the right word, because I think it would be extraordinarily hard or impossible to influence Jim Jones himself, but maybe somebody who taught him something very important that he gleaned a, a piece of information off of, which was that commonality of enemy, which you've seen, uh, or, you know, if you look back in history, this is something that um, many people have talked about or philosophized over. Uh, one other thing that uh, Father Divine helped him with um, or the community as far as like getting involved with the church more was Jim Jones pushed and uh, inspired to build his own church. He started, um, you know, to support that, that's quite expensive. So he started doing, you know, several like kind of different jobs, but also started faith healing, which um, essentially is, it's like, you know, if for all of you guys who aren't involved or haven't been involved or haven't done enough or a lot of research on the Pentecostal church, you, these are the people that will, you know, dance around, speak in tongues, uh, hold like poisonous snakes, which is crazy. Like, you know, literally these guys are dancing around with like rattlesnakes and, um, like copperheads and puff adders and crazy things like that. Um, because, you know, their interpretation of reading the scripture um, says that that is one thing that, um, you know, like Christians should do. 
um, or the fact of, you know, if you have the spirit, then you'll be okay. Um, but with the faith healings, it's essentially, it's just a con game. Basically what happens is you'll do healings and what it is, is essentially you can either have pawns in the actual, um, you know, the actual engagement or convention or, um, church and essentially like fake heal people. Uh, you know, you could walk in, somebody can walk in limping and then Jim Jones will touch them on the back or something and said, you know, something about their belief in Jesus or faith and they'll be healed. And, um, you know, being that Jim Jones is somebody who studies psychology throughout his whole life and studies leaders and persuasiveness and manipulation, he, he had an absolute skill and talent for, and, um, that helped him, uh, you know, raise the money to create his own church themselves. Right. And I mean, he was very self-aware of his talents. I think that's what pushed him onto this faith healing circuit. He's essentially David Blaine, but not as cool and uh, a pretty bad human being looking back on it. But essentially, my favorite thing about his faith healing circuit is when he'd bring his friends to other churches to showcase his talents to advertise for his church is that he would look someone in the eyes and say, you have cancer and you don't even know it. And then one of his friends would go over them while they're faith healing, drop a piece of chicken liver into their throat so they'd start gagging, spit it up into their hand and show the congregation that Jim Jones had just removed cancer by, you know, they were showing this slimy chicken liver that someone had spit up and it worked. I mean, going across a bunch of churches, you could tell it was either his pawns helping him persuade others or just simply using his pawns and saying your headache's gone or you know your limp is gone if they started walking in with a limp and all of these deception tactics which he understood very well uh, as he went across the circuit and so the interesting thing that's happening at this time while he's trying to build his presence in his own church is that he's also working in that civil rights movement right so you have someone who is putting on a persona and essentially manipulating and lying to people in the church. But in the streets, he's actually working to help the local minorities and people of color in that area. So much so that he basically desegregated the whole town of Indianapolis over time, whether it was their police force, their hospitals, uh, public restaurants where he's setting up sting operations, all of these things to me that seemed very contradictory to what he was doing so much so in my opinion that it was almost forced so that in the church spotlight he looked very positive however that's subjective no one has real evidence if this was meaningful or not at the time you'd hope it was but it just seems like the perfect step to build your image to become larger not only at a local scale but at a state and national scale Another thing that I would uh, is important to this is that Jim Jones himself, um, you know, a lot of his church members at first were actually black, um, and those people that would be convinced of the faith healings and stuff were um, usually, you know, like black Americans in Indiana, um, and usually like elderly women would be kind of the demographic. And then he would spread out from there, as you've heard about this guy and, um, you know, his power persuasion. And, you know, at first you'd be kind of skeptical, I'm sure. And people have turned away, but, you know, once 
he starts rattling off things about your the arrangement of your home or things of that nature um you know you kind of raise an eyebrow and say maybe maybe this is legit uh so he did you know that's that's a totally fair and i think that's um you know along with some of those things was when he actually opened the uh people's temple in 1955 he five years after that, he opened up a soup kitchen and it was specifically to feed the kind of, um, the, um, the impoverished in the area or the people that had a hard time meeting or making ends meet and things of that nature. So the dude was, um, on paper, um, and you know, okay. So I, first off, I apologize because I'm sure at this point you guys can already tell, I don't like this guy. Um, and to address the elephant in the room, I thought that I had a hard time doing research on this specific podcast or this character. Cause it, he just kind of, I don't know, I just didn't like him. And I feel like to do this, the, the best way you actually have to spend time with these people. And of course not physically, but in a intellectual and kind of emotional way to kind of get a best fit for their personality. Um, but Julian is absolutely right. He did a lot of philanthropic things. Um, and I think that's why his church spread quite a bit. And then eventually throughout a lot of other current events going on, they actually moved to California in 1967. So from 55 to 67, so 12 years, um, the headquarters or, um, the people's temple was in, uh, Indiana. And then they moved to a little town, um, called Redwood Valley in California. And in between that time, you have your first failed Jonestown. He goes down to Brazil, tries to start a church. He's kind of wary that the government is on to him, um, uh, because he is making good money at that time. He's one of the largest churches in the area nationally people he's never asking specifically for money for the church he's just saying here's some donations did some marketing he's a little wary goes to brazil shoots back up to redwood valley ukiah california and restarts the church here and this is where things really start to take off uh he starts leveraging his power within the community for a lot of political affiliations, uh, Harvey Milk being one of the bigger names, one of the first openly gay politicians in the during the time, meets with Angela Davis, First Lady um, Carter at the time, and is using this power to create this grand image. More and more people are flocking to his church at this point in time. And to be honest, it's very interesting, right? He's moving to this point in time. His relationship is faltering hard, and he kind of falls into the world of adultery by weird association saying that his wife isn't giving him his physical needs and that he needs his physical needs met, but he's still emotionally attached and she is still his wife. So you can start to see this character slowly transitioning into Two-Face or Harvey Dent as Jordan's earlier reference as this promotion, this image, and this rebirth in California begins to grow. And there's a few things that I think um, environmentally help with that. One, um, Julian brought up a really good point when he went down to Brazil. 
uh, he did have kind of fair reason to be somewhat paranoid because the government was looking into him. Uh, once again, if you listen to our other podcast, um, they were kind of in fashion as far as um, state sanctioned um, assassinations um, with Fred Hampton, of course, being a little earlier. Well, in 1967, actually. But when when, you know, this thing is happening, you can imagine a human being who uh, first off had a very, very strong sense of self and then comes from faith healing where people are literally thinking that, you know, he might be, you know, like chosen by God to be healing people. And, you know, there's that type of admiration and um, just kind of idolation of kind of Jim Jones himself. And this is where kind of some of the paranoia sneaks in as well. And I think he, you know, this is where kind of the long windy road of the unraveling possibly started um, with kind of his paranoia. But then when you actually think about the area of Redwood Valley, this is somewhat of a kind of commune or hybridization of the hippie movement that was happening at the time in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco was kind of getting more tumultuous. And so they moved up to Northern California, which is where they met the People's Temple. Um, And they kind of intermixed. And this is where kind of somewhat of the commune characteristics came through, where it turned into a lot more cult-like, even more so than Indiana, where... um, you know, and Julian, I think that there's also, you know, it wasn't only, uh, I think, wife stuff, but also there was, um, you know, Jim Jones used the excuse of having sex with men or women um, to actually get them closer or help them with their feelings is uh, the excuse that he used. Um, and there's many cases of him, you know, with adultery, uh, even impregnating other uh, women of another couple in the church. And, um, you know, fathering kids from other people. So it's a, it really, you know, if, if you're doing the smell test, it really stinks at this point. And, um, it, it just seems weird. And you can tell that this guy is, uh, you know, your sense of ego as a normal human being, I'm sure sometimes it fluctuates and stuff. And sometimes there's good reasons, but sometimes there's not. But if you could put yourself in Jim Jones's shoes, you know, he's being idolized by these you know, his people, these young hippies that are coming through, they're tripping over themselves to get Jim Jones's attention. Um, his church is growing quite well during this time as well. So you can tell that, you know, reading through the lines, you can tell that there's some sort of a, a God complex going on here. And, um, I think that everything that's happened, um, throughout this time has helped to that and the exponential growth of, uh, of the church as well. Right. And I think if we look at his steps, right, you go from an outcast child interested in these uh, political leaders, kid interested in death, kid who goes on to be interested in the communist party, interested in faith healing and the persuasion techniques that it entitles in the world of religion and, you know, people looking to find faith in uh, certain entities And then he comes back and I think he starts to put that all together. He's built up the background image where he's helped desegregate Indianapolis. They started the Rainbow family, him and his wife, where they were adopting uh, a lot of non-white children from uh, Indian to Korean to African-American, having 
uh, a di- very diverse family comes into you know we're seeing the start of the 70s here where people are looking for uh, that connection that faith that trust that free spirit uh, and a new way of doing things and you know looking at all that now you'd very this is one case where if social media existed i think this guy would have been stopped in his tracks very early on following that path the voice would have been much louder but that communication wasn't happening during that time and so Soon after, he becomes a lot more paranoid. He's telling his church that he believes the government's tapping into all of their phone calls, not just him. They have informants in the in the church, and all of these things are going down. And in the background, he's building out Jonestown in Guyana, South America. At this time, it's a long journey, about four or five years to get it built, and finally has it built and finally has the power to persuade the congregation that this is the right move. This is utopia. This is going to put them closer to God. And this is where they all should end up. And a few things happen. Um, you know, there was, there was a visit back to Indiana before he left for Jonestown or made that push to that, um, that fell flat on its face. And being that Jim Jones was, um, you know, an extraordinarily an extreme narcissist at this point. Um, there's many cases of his character being off where, you know, he would split up couples, get in between wives and husbands, um, you know, being that, you know, let's say the wife was closer to the church than the husband was. Um, he would split those up and, um, you know, any type of sense of feeling like his image or his, um, like she'll like following was at risk and it could either be um, with people that were extraordinarily educated, but still devout in the ways. Um, If you look at somebody like Bob Houston or Robert Houston, um, who they kind of think was actually, you know, it was, it was labeled as an accident, but um, you know, there was a lot of under under tide of saying uh, this was kind of set up by the people's temple or Jim Jones who, outwardly hated Bob Houston, um, for a few reasons, um, being that he would, he was more intelligent. He would kind of persistently ask and question Jim Jones and, um, you know, challenge his authority in a sense of just kind of openly asking questions or correcting him on dates as far as history goes and, um, things of that nature. But, um, I think that the kind of the, the launching pad for, the craziness was all this set up before Guyana. And one big reason why he set that up is because once again, Julian was uh, hit it right on the head where he was convinced that um, the government was, you know, on or, you know, closing in on him or, um, you know, trying to slowly gather enough information to take him down. And, you know, at that point, he also staged a couple of fake assassinations uh, for himself as far as, you know, there was a, a point where he was back in Redwood Valley after opening up um, a few places in San Fran, San Fernando and L.A. And he actually um, staged a shooting or not a shooting, but essentially he faked like he got shot in the chest by some random person. And then um, 30 year hour sometime later, he walked out fine, claiming that uh, he was healed and, you know, that you know, to help his people take it seriously that he was actually going through, um, you know, 
it was once again, going back to Father Divine, that this common enemy, the government who stood for, you know, fascism, racism, and all these things were against Jim Jones and his people to kind of really galvanize their effort. And um, I think helped kind of push this thing of moving to Guyana and creating Jonestown an actual possibility. Very, very tricky guy. Very, very tricky guy, to say the least. And so they go to Jonestown. And Jordan, I'll leave this up to you. I don't know if Jonestown is something I want to inherently talk about a long time just because it's very tragic and it's very dark. I think if I'm going to surmise my thoughts on it and what kind of happens down there, they move to Jonestown. Jim Jones becomes a power freak, to say the least. He's opening mail that families are receiving um, on the compound, checking to make sure that it's all legitimate, opening all their mail they're sending out to make sure it's not saying anything bad. If it is, he's punishing the families. He's got armed security and militia all around Jonestown. People are malnourished. He's only letting certain individuals in or out. He eventually goes on to assassinate a very high figure, and he's having them practice commit suicide multiple times. And what do you mean by they're practicing suicide? Well, they drink the Kool-Aid a lot, but only one of those times is it actually poisoned. And the reason why he's doing this is to find out how committed they are and expressing that. And then eventually they drink the Kool-Aid, and it just becomes absolutely disgusting. It's by no means right in any any nation. I mean, it's such a drastic change, even from where he is at, that it's unbelievable to see that route come. And that's what happens in Jonestown, in, in my opinion, uh, in my synopsis. Jordan, I'll, I'll let you say what you want to go about in there, and I, I can chime in. But to me, Jonestown is just, it's just awful at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um one thing to say that that political leader was uh, Leo Ryan, who was actually, if you can imagine, Leo Ryan, who was assassinated by, uh, well, was, you know, assassinated with the go ahead of Jim Jones, was a actual U.S. representative for California at the time, which is insane. Um, this happened on an airstrip where Jim Jones had a, multiple guys come out and open fire on this plane. Not only did he uh, he kill the, you know, Leo Ryan, but also injured a few people um, in the plane as well. Um, but uh, people that were actually trying to escape from Jonestown, which was the thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's extremely unfortunate that it happened. Uh, very disgusting. Um they basically he was training them to drink this punch um that was you know essentially you know you hear the saying don't drink the kool-aid well thanks jim jones for that um that killed over 900 people um you know that's that's women children um and everybody in between there and uh yeah it's crazy um a tidbit that i was doing research and found is that um I think his son, Jim and Tim, were away playing a basketball game against the Guyanese national team. And then uh, I believe Tim also then uh, murdered somebody afterwards. Um, it's, you know, as you can tell, like I mentioned before, really wasn't uh, rocking with um, Jim Jones. So it was, uh, you know. It's it's an it, you know honestly Julian I think this is an interesting character uh, to to kind of investigate and understand 
because it's hard to understand somebody like Jim Jones. Um, but it, it, it's very illuminating in a sense of that these kind of people are, are out there as far as a human being can exist with Jim Jones like characteristics because Jim Jones existed and these things can happen. Of course, um, an outlier, but, um, nonetheless real, but, I think this is a good time to kind of segue and not belabor the point or belabor the moment and go into scoring of Jim Jones. Yes. The scoring of Jim Jones, the, the cult leader, as you guys have learned, if you're more interested in Jonestown, it's very easy to find information on. There's horrific audio. If you want to hear more about, you know, live recording, cause they are recording everything Jim Jones did uh, in Jonestown. So you can hear, the complete exist um, history of Jonestown from life to death. Uh, it's it's horrific. But let's get into scoring. You know what we do here. Six categories, empathy, integrity, collaboration, vision, self-awareness, and his X factor on a scale of zero to five to see what type of leader Jim Jones was. So we'll start with empathy. I gave him a two. I think early on, even though it may have been fake or not, he understood where people were having these feelings, understood where they wanted to be helped and how to help them out. He understood his own connection and in somewhat was a bit below average, but still made some great decisions and choices to help out communities in need. So I gave him a zero for empathy. Um, big surprise, right? So um, and, the, and the reason why is because of uh, a few things and you know to harken back to my point of saying you know harvey dent ask um maybe in journey like i referenced but as far as character i think he was a complete um wolf in sheep's clothing and um you know being that he was extraordinarily narcissistic probably the civil rights movement was just a way for him to feel um uh holy or better than other people um or woke even, uh, you know, it's, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have kind of put that on Jim Jones as far as wokeness, but I think the characteristics and the mechanism still stands as far as being uh, socially progressive and whatnot. And that's what Jim Jones was. But um, through his uh, order assassination of Leo Ryan, um, his emotional, social and like sexual manipulation of people and um, other things, I figured that that was a just um, score for him to lead into integrity at zero to five. I also gave him a zero uh, and that had to do with some of the things that I just mentioned as far as um, the assassination, the other killings that happened under Jim Jones's tutelage. He, um, he also had, um, you know, in his church, he actually had like boxing um, and he actually made like five-year-olds fight each other and like pin up against pin a scrawnier kid or smaller kid up against a big kid. And that was a form of punishment. He also did this to adults. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I find Jim Jones uh, lacking in integrity, uh, along with the other things that I mentioned as far as empathy. But uh, Julian, what was your score and why did you rank him so? Yeah, he gets zero. I mean basically to me the foundation of integrity it's like your honesty dude wasn't honest ever um his moral principles were off uh by a long shot and you can tell over the evolution here 
as he gets you know stronger in power so gave him a zero overall donut uh for integrity for jim jones and then uh we move over to collaboration so far jim jones has one out of 30 potential points uh quick reminder for last episode fred hampton had much more at this point in time uh and so collaboration i gave him a two i think he did you know, persuade and work with individuals to help his power grow. I think he collaborated with the People's Temple, other political affiliations, and worked with them um, to help them meet some of their needs in some regards, but also help himself out. And I think to get to his point in power, he needed a little help along the way. And there's a lot of characters we didn't touch on here uh, that did help him out. But the story is so odd and confusing once you start adding in these other characters that it makes a lot of tangents. So I overall gave him a two in collaboration uh, for Jim Jones. Jordan, what did you give good old Jimmy here uh, in collaboration? To keep the streak alive with my third zero, Jim Jones gets a zero. Um, and I think I think the reason that he got a zero for me in collaboration, you did mention uh, something fair that he kind of, uh, you know, he he wasn't doing all this himself. He did use his followers in the people's temple to help some of this stuff get done, uh, specifically as far as his healers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, people of his own would break into houses and research people and, um, you know, help him with the healings themselves and even participate as like a fake participant. And, and, you know, I, I take exception to when you call them David Blaine, I think if David Blaine, um, uh, you know, the worst version of David Blaine ever in some sort of black mirror episode, uh, I think that would be Jim Jones. Um, and also I think to kind of paint the point of why I gave him a zero, uh, even though I did admit that he worked with these people or, you know, ease people to help him in his goal. I think it was no different than almost like a slave owner using their slaves as, uh, you know, to help uh, create, you know, pick cotton or cut sugar cane and things of that nature. It's really not a collaboration as far as a teamwork effort. It is domination using, you know, mental manipulation and things of that nature, which um, is basically, I think, null and void of collaboration when it comes to, hey, I have a goal you have a goal. Let's try to figure out a way to make a common goal work together, which um, is why I gave him a zero, which makes his score a one. So Julian's keeping Jim Jones afloat with two points uh, so far out of three categories. And we go to vision next. And so as far as vision goes out of the score of one or zero to five, I gave Jim Jones a one. And essentially the reason I did said that was um, because I do believe that he had vision um, in the sense of, you know, he was pushing for the civil rights um, movement and the, you know, the equal treatment of minorities. But honestly, you know, when you compare, and this is almost an average of his, you know, two kind of phases of Jim Jones. Um, And at the later stage, I think that his vision was extraordinarily limited due to his narcissism and paranoia so you know his his movement to guyana was actually an escape um because of the fear of you know being stopped in the u.s um but i honestly think that uh, as far as vision goes if you look at it holistically there is something there but at the end um 
you know, he wasn't looking too far out. And maybe you could say, you know, he died for a martyr for an ultimate vision. But um, I, I think uh, I think I've been poisoned by, um, you know, believing that Jim Jones was a was a horrible narcissist. And um, I apologize if you get an upset because you think, you know, there has to be kind of some sort of objective view of this person. But um, I, I truly believe that, um, you know, maybe I'll, you know, let, let us know if you're like Jordan, you suck ass. Um, you need to, you need to freaking <laughs> you need to get your tits out of a bundle or something and start objectively rating these people. But I gave Jim Jones a one as far as vision. Now, Julian, what did you give Jim? I gave Jim Jones a four. Pretty stark contrast there. And I gave Jim Jones a four because to me, his vision has always been absolute power Uh, from a young child all the way to when it ends. It's absolute power. He's studying very powerful leaders who have control of large individual, large masses. He strictly gets into faith healing because he learns that he can make money and profit from it and control individuals. He speaks with Father Divine on how to manipulate individuals. The Communist Party, he understands, can give him complete control on where he can learn that. He starts the church, creates his image so that people like him and he can be more persuasive in the public eye. He then goes to California and proves it. He continues to build his church. He's so powerful that anyone with clear vision would be able to say Jim Jones is a guy I want to stay away from, but political affiliates are flocking to him. He then understands by the help of the government in some regards that he has complete power, that when he says, I'm going to go to Guyana, that his congregation says, we'll go with you. And at the end, Guyana, Guyana is his ultimate power. No one can come in or out without his say. No one can do anything without his say. And that's where he wanted to be. I think it was his utopia and religion was the facade to get people under his control. And I think at the end of the day, to me, I wouldn't be talking about Jim Jones if he didn't have such a strong vision. I think if his vision would have faltered, you could see very well down the line that maybe he would have been a veterinarian. Maybe he would have been a nurse. Maybe he would have been a teacher. Maybe he just would have stayed a a small time pastor, but that ever growing desire for power is what pushed him to the stages that he was at. Because at the end of the day, he lived a very modest life. But when they raided Guyana and took all the belongings, he had over $4 million in cash just laying around that he didn't want to use. He strictly just fed off of the power that he had in those scenarios. And to me, that is why I gave Jim Jones a four. Um, and so that updates our totals going off of averages. Jim Jones now has a total of four and a half out of 30 points. To, to be fair, um, well, one, Julian, that was actually quite persuasive. Um, so respect, respect on that, um, that reasoning and logic behind vision. But to be fair, he has four and a half points from 20 so far. We have two other categories left. Um, and this next one is self-awareness. And so I gave Jim Jones a self-awareness score of a one. And in my opinion, it wavers at the start of People's Temple when he started with the faith healing. I think it was actually pretty strong, um, but quickly was diluted by the massive adoration and paranoia 
like, you know, many narcissists suffer from. Um, and I think that it is one of those things where he was too, um, he was too worried about the impressions of others to actually see um, how he kind of composed himself or how he came across. Uh, so that's why I gave him a self-awareness score of a one. And also, you know, if you thought about it, if you think about it, um, I think that there's, um, hmm, I think that if you're looking at self-awareness and you're looking at a grand scheme of things, I think assassination attempts on government leaders, especially on the most powerful country in the world at the time, is, is probably very, um, you know, won't look good for Jim Jones. Um, and so I gave him a one. But guys, I promise that I'm not going to give him a one or a zero next next category. So please hold tight with me. And I gave him a, I gave him a two. I'm, I fall in line with Jordan. I think you'd have to be an, an idiot to um, assassinate individuals or threaten your power in some regards. Uh, and I think he kind of strays away from his, his powers. He gets a little outside of himself and starts becoming too big. So in that instance, yeah, I gave him a two. Uh, averaging out to a one and a half. And so now we're at six out of 25 going into the X factor. And for you guys who are just hopping on, welcome aboard. Um, so our X factor is kind of a wild card category where we use the leader in questions, most kind of latent ability or strongest tool and their tool belt and helping them accomplish their goals. So it could be, um, you know, for Fred Hampton, it could be oratory or, you know, just his ability to galvanize people for somebody else. Um, you know, for Napoleon, it could be, you know, utilizing, uh, you know, step ladders or something like that random. So it's, it's kind of this random category. And so for me, Jim Jones's X factor was his ability to manipulate people. And, to the point of it was almost kind of like quite scientific. Of course, you guys know of, you know, who he studied, which is no surprise why he started in manipulation as faith healers. That's, you know, a classic form of manipulation right there. Um, but also in a very Scientology-esque type thing, Jim Jones would have his, you know, followers write down their, you know, greatest fears, their weaknesses, their strengths and whatnot. And then what he would do is if they ever kind of fomented in any way, he would use those to actually embarrass and punish his followers. Also, I think that he was so extraordinarily at, at extraordinary at manipulation and or and oration, to be fair, that was really close. I was going to put that up there, but I felt like he, you know, he was the Michael Jordan at manipulating um, so far, as far as we've uh, understood or researched, but um, so much so that academic psychologists now are considering the ethical implications of publishing their work in different findings due to the malice that people can be used, can use it by, or, you know, do new psychological findings and abilities like that. So, so much so that you know, today people are saying or thinking maybe we should kind of control the information we put out or publish because people, um, you know, the outliers like Jim Jones can use it to cause, uh, you know, horrific things like we've seen in Jonestown. Julian, what do you got as far as X Factor? 
Yeah, I think you're you have a fair assumption there. I yeah, I went with manipulation slash strategy. I gave him a three. I think very early on it starts out very strong and then it just kind of changes to people coming to him. And I think why I put in strategy there is I think from a young age he understood that religion is a very interesting area, especially the church. It is individuals who, you know, are seeking faith and that portion of their life to be fulfilled. And he understood that if he could become persuasive in those environments and bring people to his church, he was going to have more hearsay power over those individuals. And I think that takes a very certain thought process along with those skills learned to execute properly. And I think he did that. At the end of the day, I think he kind of loses sight of that. And that's why I gave him a three. I say it's about average. I think if he would have stayed on that track and just went on a large religious circuit within the U.S. and stayed in that regards and his main motivation or vision would have been for money, I think he would have been one of your first mega church type pastors, right? I think he would have been racking it in. But I think overall having that vision for absolute power, he kind of lost sight of his strengths and more so relied on, you know, word of mouth towards the end of his his career for people to find him and then for him to bring them down to uh, Jonestown. So at the end of the day, he out of 30 points, Jim Jones gets 9.75, uh, a very low score, some strengths and weaknesses for sure. And I you know, I think this is accurate to the most spot. I don't think he would get much higher, you know, maybe you change the categories, but I think this is pretty spot on from uh, my point of view. I, yeah, I, maybe for me, I feel like I was definitely a little bias there and could have got to give him more credit in a few places. But I think so far, you know, Jim Jones, and it was really interesting that you, at that last thing, you mentioned that he might even be like a Joel Olstein, like we see now. Maybe, hopefully I said his name right, but that like mega church pastor or preacher. Um, and I definitely could see it being that, you know, if he, if he was, you know, used, if he wasn't as narcissistic and paranoid, which I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's say that that's easier said than done. Um, he definitely was destined for something big, um, you know, using his skill set and his just kind of tenacity in some sense, I think he possessed and um, unrelenting, uncompromising, uncompromising self of Jim Jones. Um, so, yeah, uh, blazing up the, the scoreboard with 30. But in conclusion, um, I think that Jim Jones uh, is a special case as far as us breaking down historical leaders. Um, one, for the reason of uh, he's he's quite an outlier in, you know, how he did it and how he led and uh, the things that he led for. Um but also kind of his interesting life cycle as far as uh, where he ended up. But I believe that he's going to be one of our more um, like everlasting or evergreen people, because this is a perfect example of, um, you know, you pull things from leaders as far as what you want to emulate. But I think in Jim Jones's case, you're going to pull what you want to avoid or be perceptive about. And, you know, narcissism isn't something that is running or to that level isn't running rampant everywhere as far as leaders go. But 
Um, you definitely want to be sensitive to it when it happens. And I think the world has taken note and, you know, I think we process things of, you know, narcissistic leaders a little differently, at least in the U S um, due to the example of Jonestown, but essentially, you know, usually in the conclusions, I have a critique for, um, you know, the leader in question, but I think this one is just essentially, um, there's a lot to critique on. So I'll just say, you know, this is a perfect example of not taking something from the actual leader. I wouldn't recommend taking manipulation necessarily or Hitler-esque manipulation or Mao-esque or Stalin-esque um, anything, but more of just being able to understand um, that, you know, people are out there like that and leaders in no matter how persuasive or powerful a dynamic they are, like Jim Jones was, um, you have to kind of think for yourself. And if you see anything or you feel like it smells a little funky, um, that, you know, use this in a, as an example of understanding that these things exist. And I know that sounds like a really cautionary tale and, um, it probably not as cool or as fun as just breaking it down and probably being a little more analytical, but I don't know. I think that it's, um, it's hard to derive anything extraordinarily good from, Jim Jones and granted, you know, he helped a lot of, um, of, you know, the minorities and black people during his time. So that's gotta be fair. But, um, I mean, Julian, uh, level me out here. Am I, am I being unreal or, or, you know, give it to me straight. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the opinions that you hold are going to resonate with a large portion of individuals. And I think, you know, from our perspective, you may say, okay, Jim Jones wasn't a leader, right? He was just kind of a narcissistic narcissistic maniac. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going over all leaders, good, bad, evil, great. That's all subjective. You know, he led thousands of people uh, at the end of the day, and we're looking at what built him up to be a leader. And so I think there's a lot of opinions you can have. You can look at the outcome. You can look at different instances. But I think, Jordan, at the end of the day, what you are looking at resonates with a lot of individuals. You know, I'm not a fan of Jim Jones. It's, uh, it may have came out, but, you know, I, I try to take a step back and look at some of those traits. But at the end of the day, in my personal philosophies, don't align with Jim Jones in any regards. And I think a lot of listeners as well. So I think you, you stated it, it, it perfectly. Thanks. And that's why we're co-hosts, everybody on the same page and on the same team. But uh, as far as being on the same page and on the same team, once again, thank you guys so much for, you know, following along in this journey, especially with Jim Jones, an interesting example of a leader. Um, we'll continue to do this, but we'd love to get your input as far as reviews on certain platforms, uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the good stuff. Uh Spotify, if you can give us a listen, that'd be great there as well. Um, and of course, if you want to give us input as far as like a next leader to have, that would be excellent. Um, once again, thanks for listening to this point in the journey and um, we'll see you guys next time.